Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sarah Galvin. Was this something that he was like gunning for? Like, is he one of those people that like go to the hospital with a bowling trophy in their ass and, and to say that they sat on it in the shower? That and more. But first, folks, once again, I want you to know that if you are Arab or Muslim or Palestinian or Israeli or Jewish and you'd like to share a story with us, remember, you could pitch us today or you could pitch us a year from now or two years from now. Obviously, the reason I'm mentioning this right now is because of all of the horrific trauma that folks in the Middle East or their loved ones elsewhere have been going through this year. So just remember, when the time feels right to you, when you have the psychological wherewithal to do it, go ahead and pitch us your stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back. Howdy, Risk fans. This is friend of the show, Adam Griffin. I'm not only somebody who tells stories about masturbating gorillas, I'm also a life coach with Atomic Griffin Coaching. Coaching gives clients the opportunity to think what they've not thought, say what they've not said, dream what they've not dreamed, and create what they've not created. Dave Ellis. If you'd like to make a meaningful change in your life, whether that means breaking a bad habit like smoking, something I gave up and Jesus fucking Christ was that hard, or making a great habit like exercising regularly, I've run not one but two marathons, not in the same year. Or a third thing, like managing your time better or taking some of the power out of that inner critic that says things like, What the fuck are you doing, you stupid idiot? <clears throat> Working with a life coach like me can help. To learn more about what it would be like for us to work together, set up a free discovery session with me. Just go to atomic-griffin.com. That's A-T-O-M-I-C hyphen G-R-Y-P-H-O-N.com to book that free session. Attention Risk fans! Use code RISK, that's R-I-S-K, when you book your free discovery session and get 10% off your first coaching package. Atomic Griffin Coaching. Let's unlock your limitless potential. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. 
you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now here's the show. Hello, folks. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Billy Tipton behind me now, the famous jazz pianist of the 40s. After he died in 1989, the public learned something about Billy they hadn't known before. He was trans, and we thought we'd start with him today because... We do not want to go back to an era when most trans people lived their whole lives trying to hide their identities in secret. And so this week we bring you Trans Lives 3 in honor of Transgender Awareness Week this November, which culminates in the Trans Day of Remembrance on November 20th. You know, it feels like in my lifetime, in my memory, there's never been a period where this much bigotry has been stoked and manipulated and spread by wealthy power players for political gain. And God knows recently trans folks have been treated horribly by corporate media, right-wing politicians, billionaire assholes, hate groups, and on and on. So as always, we feel it's important to hear from the people themselves. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Sarah Galvin, an outrageously funny and touching story they shared last time Risk was in Seattle. But before that, a story from Maxfield Orr, who you can find on TikTok at Dog Daddies, Maxfield is an American Sign Language interpreter living in the East Bay in California, and here he is now, Maxfield Orr, with a story we call The River. met but I like you and I think we get along pretty well and the deadline for campus housing assignments is coming up so I guess what I'm trying to say is do you want to be roommates next year? I'm having lunch with my new friend Ray this cheerful nerdy artist with light brown curls and these super thick glasses at first, I'm not really sure what to say when he pops the question. We are an unlikely pair, to say the least. He is a homeschool Christian kid from upstate New York, and I'm a native Californian with a pagan mom and guitar playing dad. But I was new to Rochester, and Ray had shown me a lot of kindness. Just then, he was flashing me this huge smile, so big that his lips seemed to disappear behind it. And it's not like I was exactly fielding offers for roommates, so I thought, why not? Let's do it.
campus club for transgender students. Our identities were the one thing that we did have in common and neither of us were out to our families yet. We would go on to spend hours workshopping our coming out letters in the dorm lounge, eating Cheez-Its and swapping stories. This is when we really started to get to know each other better and share about our childhoods. I'd be telling him something like, you know, sometimes you call the goddess with song or you burn sage to open the circle. And this happens where? Outside in the forest grove. Total disbelief. But then he'd say something like, yeah, I never really had friends growing up other than church group. It's a little hard to socialize when your parents are your teachers. His upbringing was just as foreign to me as mine was to him, and we never got tired of asking each other questions and comparing our experiences. But unlike Ray, I drifted from my mom's religion as I got older. I didn't practice paganism, but there were some pillars of it that I still really strongly believed in, and I felt lucky to grow up with that notion of magic being real in my house, that altars had the power to bring luck or wealth, that our universe had an interconnectedness. I felt like it was a hopeful way to see the world as a kid, and I still felt that way. As the semester went on, I learned that Ray struggled with his mental health. He was one of those students where when finals came around, he would just disappear. He would stop eating as much, he would start sleeping in his studio. For him, nothing less than perfection was acceptable, like an A- minus was a failure to him. And this was an example of just how self-disciplined Ray was in every aspect of his life. Like, I don't think I even heard him swear the first two years I knew him. When he got really worked up about something, he'd sometimes say, oh, rats. He was also a very staunch environmentalist. He would take the campus shuttle or walk anywhere, anytime. It didn't matter how long he had to wait. It didn't matter if it was snowing. One time he sent me the link to a New York Times op-ed article, the title, Cars Are Death Machines. After we both finally did send our coming out letters, we started testosterone within months of each other. We had this core group of other trans friends on campus, and I think it was pretty common for one of us to complain that we had to go through puberty in college and that we missed out on not doing this earlier in life. But honestly, I felt like we were kind of lucky in a way to be able to put this much intention into what kind of men we wanted to be as adults, and even though Ray was younger than me, he was a role model. I, I really looked up to him. I feel like the universe brought us together for a reason, and he taught me that a male friendship could be vulnerable. He could come home crying about a breakup and I could be there for him, or he could text me a weeknight and ask, Hey, I'm having some anxiety about doing my shot tonight. Do you mind doing it for me? I really admired that Ray had this capacity to be so patient and kind, even to people who I think didn't deserve it. For example, when he came out, his hometown in Ithaca went to a pretty liberal little church and they were totally welcoming when he came out and made it pretty clear that his family was still embraced and accepted there, which obviously rules. But one family took an issue with this and actually left the church as a result. And the daughter of that family wrote him a letter talking about her concern for his soul and going down a bad path. In a baffling move, from my perspective, he asked her to lunch and had this conversation with her about his perspective and his experience. I probably would have told her to get fucked, but that was Ray. He didn't see anyone as a lost cause. I've been lucky to have a lot of best friends in my life over the years, but Ray was the first close friend I ever had who had such a different life experience than mine, and still we were able to be as close as we were. It felt like this connection we had really transcended all of that. And even though we were different, I felt like I could tell him anything and he wouldn't judge me. 
He was the best listener of anyone I knew, and I think that's why I went to him first for so many things in life. After graduation, Ray moved back in with his parents in Ithaca, and I remember giving him a hard time about it, like, you are so strong to be living with family again after college. For me, 3,000 miles is my preferred distance from my own family. But we started texting a lot more, just being that support for each other, venting about everyday life. At that point, I'd ended this long rotating cast of roommates and was living with my boyfriend, Keanu. We visited Ithaca pretty often, and it took us several visits not to tense up when we joined hands with Ray's family as they prayed over the meal. But over time, I came to kind of look forward to it. It was a new ritual to us, but it carried its own magic. And each time we visited Ray, it felt like a little more of him was coming to the surface. He was really thriving in his transition. Even though he struggled living with family, he was growing this beard and he was fitting into his clothes in a way that he never had before. And he was finding time to do art outside of work, just for fun, not under the pressure of a deadline. And I just remember being so proud of him for that. He had plans to visit us in April of 2020, but when COVID hit, we postponed that indefinitely. At that point, our texts became darker and more cynical. I'd say something like, isn't it sad the only thing keeping me from a full-blown panic attack about climate change is knowing I'll probably die before the planet does? And then a few days later, he'd go, I had to tell my dad he couldn't watch the Republican debates anymore. His blood pressure was spiking too much. And I'd go, do you ever think about how messed up kids being raised in quarantine are gonna be? Then I'd get a text from him. I hope we all live long enough that we see each other in person again one day. But there were other days after a long week of existential dread that I'd get a text from Ray on a Friday night saying, Hey Max, just wanted to say I love you. And I always said I love you too. And I think those conversations made me feel like we had become the men we wanted to become. And we had that vulnerability with each other that meant so much to me. Then came October 28th, 2020. We were preparing for Halloween weekend. I decided to text Ray and ask what his plans were, and we had this short little conversation. The next morning, I got this weird Facebook message from Ray's mom. Just please call me when you get a chance and her phone number. So I dial. When his mom answers the phone, her tone of voice was so flat, so emotionless. Max, there's no easy way to say this but Ray passed away this morning and I'm just getting a sinking feeling like I'm being pulled to the ground, like this can't possibly be happening and she's about to say something that contradicts what she just told me. But she goes, you know how he gets up so early. I don't know how long he was lying there just kicking myself for not going in earlier. She found him on the floor of his childhood bedroom. Later we learned he had an undiagnosed blood clot, some kind of heart condition, and he basically had a heart attack during his morning workout. He was 25. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's all I could say. She was still there, but it sounded further away now. You know, he probably wouldn't have admitted it because Ray doesn't like to play favorites, but you really were his best friend. I just want to thank you for that. Just like it was a regular phone call, I could sense that she was trying to end the conversation. She was wrapping it up, but 
I felt like I couldn't hang up. When I hung up, it was gonna become real. But ultimately, like everything else that day, I had no control. The call ended and I stepped into this new world without Ray in it. In the next few weeks, I started getting all these messages from different friends of Ray's, people he'd mentioned but I'd never met before. And my first reaction was always, oh, this is great. Wait until Ray sees that his friends are connecting and meeting each other. He's gonna love this. I don't think I ever understood what the denial stage of grief meant until I went through it. It was like I could accept that he was gone because that was the reality. I had no other choice. But my brain just couldn't process that reality. And it kept telling me that this is temporary. Like, oh yeah, sure, we won't be able to talk for a while, but then he'll come back and I'll update him on everything we've missed. When I saw photos of him, I would feel this real sense of relief. Like, oh, there he is. Okay, he's fine. He's right there. It was maddening. I would try to do a simple task and then find myself sitting on the kitchen floor in the middle of doing the dishes, just crying to myself. Keanu and I would sit down to watch a movie and I would hear him laughing and suddenly come back to my body. Like, where had I been for the past 30 minutes? I had no idea what was happening. I felt like even when I tried so hard to be in the moment, my mind ran away with me. My thoughts were on this loop. Having these physical emotions on a roller coaster all day, every day, it felt like I couldn't trust my own feelings. I couldn't trust my own body anymore. And that was scary. Every time something good happened, it was this punch in the gut, like, Ray isn't here to tell about this, and he should be here. Building routine into my daily grief kept life moving forward, like walking my dog, Miso, twice a day, sometimes more. This four-year-old husky had endless energy, and it was so therapeutic for me to just walk and cry and cross the street every time I saw a neighbor so that they didn't see what a mess I was and try to talk to me. But the season changed. Winter, holidays, New Year's. Then, in March, we found a lump on Misa's neck. Again, it's completely surreal. My brain can't connect to the reality of what's happening. And I'm thinking, Misa's fine. He was fine yesterday. He's gonna be fine, he's okay. I just kept thinking, Miso got me through losing Ray. I, I can't lose Miso too. That's not fair, that's not possible. I didn't think that I could have had more severe mood swings than I did when Ray first passed, but those months with Miso, I was out of my mind again. I remember this conversation with my therapist where I said something like, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and feel like, what's the point of even going on without Ray, with me so sick? It all just feels pointless. I don't understand. And then a couple hours later, I'm thinking, wow, isn't life amazing? And she goes, yeah, that sounds like grief. After Misa passed away that summer, we visited Ithaca one more time. The first time we saw Ray's family since he died eight months before. I remember walking into the house and feeling like it was so quiet. Everything looked the same, but felt completely different. It was emptier. We had this beautiful homemade lunch and we prayed over the meal like always but this time it didn't feel like we were bringing 
magic into our moment. It just felt like we were calling out to something that wasn't there anymore. It felt flat and I didn't know what to say. When Ray's mom led us to his bedroom, everything looked exactly how he left it. It was like a child's room still. Zelda posters on the wall and action figures on the shelves. It was so strange to be in such a familiar space, a space that I had always felt excited to sit next to Ray on his bed and hear updates from his life. Ray's mom went over to his dresser and laughed when she opened the top drawer. She holds up this little plastic box of dried apricots. I guess this was his secret snack, huh? And my stomach clenches, thinking about how Ray is never gonna get to finish that snack and he's never gonna have a little snack again, I guess. Or sit out on the patio and bird watch in the yard. Ray's mom starts bringing out his button-down shirts and insisting that he would want us to take them home. He would want them to be worn. And I take them not because I plan on wearing them, but because I know she's right. Environmentalist to the end, Ray would hate to know that his shirts were sitting there unused in the closet. But I feel like I can't even touch them. Like I'm violating a museum exhibit. And the hardest part was when she asked us to take home some of his testosterone prescription. I look at the refill date right below his name on the box, and I cannot believe the numbers there. 10, 28, 20. The same night that we had our last texting conversation, the day before he died. Turned out I was grateful to have the shirts, even though they didn't fit me right, even though they didn't smell like him anymore. They reminded me of all the times he sent me selfies, trying on shirts in the thrift store, asking me if he looked cute, and I always said yes, and I always meant it. He had gotten so much more self-confident in the past couple of years. I never used the tea, but having it was this evidence that he was here. Even though I had the pictures, I had the videos, I had things he'd made me over the years, pottery and art pieces for birthdays and holidays. This bottle of tea with his name and the day before he died. Sometimes when my mind played tricks on me, I would go into the bathroom and open the drawer and just touch his name. We've been back in California for two years now. I turned 30 this year. Every birthday is still another one where I get older and Ray stays 25. This thought used to tear me apart, but Keanu has helped me to reframe it in a way. And he reminds me that grief and joy live next door. Ray's parents turned the hallway of his house into a gallery. They framed and mounted all of his proudest pieces of art, his illustrations. At this point, I've stopped trying to make sense of the universe. I welcome the ghosts, the hard days, the dark thoughts, and I think I'm less scared than I used to be. I don't look for a reason behind everything that happened. I don't believe there is one. And I think that's helped me let go of some of those obsessive thoughts. I guess all we can do is keep following the river wherever it takes us. I believe there is still magic in that.
what I tell men is this is not about accepting trans and gender nonconforming people. This is about accepting yourself. And if you do that work first, everything I'm going to say is makes sense. But if you don't do that work, everything that I say is going to be inherited as an attack from a zero-sum ideology that makes you think that if other people thrive, you must somehow lose something. That's what's happening with misogyny in this country right now. So in the early 20th century, when women were making the claim for the right to vote, what did men do? They created postcards that actually had women dressed up as men and men dressed up as women. And they said, if women get the right to vote, we're going to be feminized and we're going to lose power. And it's going to be women who are making us do what we've done to women, take care of the kids and stay at home. Women were basically just saying, we want the right to vote. And men heard that as, I'm losing power. And then here we are a hundred years later, trans and gender nonconforming people are saying, hey everyone, I want to be able to exist. I want to be able to walk outside without being spat on. I want to be able to live and not fear dying. I want to be able to wear what I'm wearing and not be called brave. I want to be able to actually have people regard my humanity, not some one-dimensional trope that they're getting from these racist and transphobic algorithms. And people are saying, that's a threat. <laughs> Darling, the threat is a system that has made you mistake your latent disassociation as a personality. That's the threat. This is Namoli Brennett behind me now, a trans singer-songwriter based in Iowa. Before that, we heard a clip from Alok Ved Menon, author of Beyond the Gender Binary, an extraordinary author and speaker. And that interstitial was edited by Taj Easton, as was the story you just heard by Maxfield Orr. Folks, we've been getting the nicest messages from Risk fans joining Patreon to keep Risk running, which is very, very necessary. A Risk fan named Gordon said, I wish I could afford to send as much as this show deserves. I might just owe this show my life. And someone named Moose wrote something similar. They said, if I were filthy rich, I would give the phenomenal amount the show is truly worth. Then again, risk is priceless. Well, thank you so much to Gordon and Moose. It's true, you get to hear such honest, heartfelt stories told by folks you might not hear most other places, you know, and prepared with so much tender loving care and it's true we do need your support there's lots of bonus content at patreon.com risk and if you want to make a one-time donation that's at paypal.me risk show next up is the author of the three einsteins the poet sarah galvin sarah told this story at a risk live show in seattle in 2022 
Sarah uses the term AFAB a few times in this story. If that one's new to you, it means assigned female at birth. And here they are now with a story we call Q-Tip Dave. that happened to me in 2020. I was, um, I was on my way home from a job interview that went really well, and I was in a party mood, you know? But, but it was like the height of the pandemic, so everything's closed. But I happened to go by this bar that I always used to go to, and I, I noticed that like the jukeboxes and the uh, ATM is on, but, but like the house lights are down. Then like I noticed that people I know are in there, and they're kind of beckoning me to come in, and it's a huge bar, so I'm like, Okay, uh, if I could distance myself, go in. So, like, being there feels fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever, like, managed to go to a social event that was safe during COVID, but, like, it was the best thing. We're, like, listening to Jukebox, like, having conversations. And, um, but the person that's having the best time of anybody is the owner, Dave, who is this, like, white guy in his 60s with a lot of white hair that kind of looks like a Q-tip. But he's a nice guy, you know. If you're in your 30s, you've probably been hit on by, like, 10 Daves. Like, the best example I could give is, like, it's a peripheral friend of your dad that doesn't understand boundaries. But sometimes they're nice. But the reason I like this Dave, though, is, like, he's, he's got this kind of earthy, no-bullshit quality. Uh, he's funny. He's warm. Like, he seems like a cool guy in the end, right? Or so I thought. I'm not really sure, like, how much time has gone by, but, like, eventually my buddies are gone, and I'm just, like, hanging out with uh, Q-Tip Dave alone, and we're talking. It's actually, like, a really nice conversation, right? Like, I find out, you know, he's been bartending in Pioneer Square since before I was born. And I was like, man, you know, the bar that you have, it reminds me of this leather bar called the Eagle where I used to DJ that had a cage hanging from the ceiling. Well, like, anything could happen. But, you know, except, like, this isn't a queer bar. And he's like, oh, I mean, this is a not a queer bar, right? Like, uh, I just want people to be comfortable. In that moment, I was kind of, like, um, feeling connected. Like, oh, that's nice. Thank you, man. Energy changes. Suddenly, he's like, uh, you know, people like you don't really come in here very often. Like, you're really unique. And I suddenly just get this feeling of, like, that I've had before. And this is a weird thing for me because, like, I've presented, I'm you know, like AFAB, right? But I've presented as masculine since I was five. And, and yet, like, I get hit on by straight men all the time. I don't know why this is. I mean, it could be my energy. Like, the creepiest thought I would have is that, like, I may be androgynous and whatever, they're able to, like, feminize me or something. But, you know, this energy is getting directed at me. Like, when I told my parents I was trans and I was five, they're like, what do you want? I was like, I want short hair and a motorcycle jacket. I have short hair and a motorcycle jacket now. So I'm like, what are the Daves of the world fucking thinking about me? And I'll get to this a bit more later, but I have been in love with a man, but it was not a straight man. And it was um, completely different than this. Like, this is some rando, right? Anyway, so Dave is like now explicitly pushing for sex. And he's like, saying things like, oh, come on, why not? Or like, you're so unique or whatever. And I'm just kind of like, uh, I feel something in my brain, like a, an old, you know, poorly made dam creaking during a flood. Just like, oh, something gonna happen. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but here it goes. And, you know, I just, I get tired of like, you know, explaining to these dudes that, you know, I'm like 99.9% .9 attracted to women. Not only that, but I'm not really a woman myself doesn't make any difference. Dude's still just like, let's go for it. So, you know, again, I would not be wearing like, you know, army boots and a, like a, a tweed coat that night if I had any questions about my gender identity. It's like straight people sometimes think that I've made some kind of demented, like sartorial mistake. And I'm like, dude, my, my coat is more expensive than yours. Fuck off. <laughs> so, I explained to this guy, you know, I've only been with one cis dude ever, and I was deeply, deeply in love. 
to an extent that I felt like I won the lottery. And the idea of like getting taught by some rando is actually kind of sickening. And he's like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. He's like listening, listening, like, oh, you're listening. And then fucking three minutes later, he's like, but anyway, I just think, I'm just fucking hell, man. So I, I just, I felt myself starting to fucking freak out in like a way that I never had before. In a way that I had felt like less before, but like not to this extent. So, I mean, I guess I just flipped out. I was like, well, you can't fuck me, but I might fuck you. And to my shock, he is way into it. <laughs> like, and this is something I still wonder about. I'm like, was he planning this? Was this like, was this something that he was like gunning for? Like, is he one of those people that like go to the hospital with a bowling trophy in their ass and, and to say that they sat on it in the shower? I can say at least in the case of one person, he did not sit on it in the shower. Stupid excuse. Anyway, uh, so like, I, I'm just on this like tear of like this damn bursting thing, and so I'm like, okay, go get something slippery from the bar room to hurt your butt, and then also put on every two live crew song you have on the jukebox. <laughs> so he does these things, then he cuts his couple lines of coke. I'm like flying, dude. Perhaps more than I should have been. Uh, so, you know, like, The Fuck Shop is playing, which is one of my favorite Two Life Crew songs. And Luther Campbell is just streaming, like, uh, you know, my favorite lines, like, uh, I'll fuck you till you sleep, you sleep like a baby, and in your dreams you say I'm crazy. Love it. Uh, but I'm not, like, sexually excited. I just feel kind of, like, euphoric, and um, nothing happens in my pants throughout this experience. I'm just telling you because I'd be embarrassed if it did. Uh, so... I put my hand in this, like, shot glass of mystery lube and, you know, bend the 50th Dave to hit on me over the pool table. And I'm, like, you know, holding the nape of his neck in my teeth like a dog. Like, just <laughs> railing him on the pool table. His butthole? So, most of the time... <laughs> I mean, like, this is a fucking... This is important detail, guys. Okay, so, this is weird. So, most of the time, a butthole feels like a really muscular vagina. His butthole was like striated. It felt like a ball of yarn. And then like a couple weeks later, I was at Joanne Fabrics and I picked up a ball of, <laughs> I up a fucking ball of yarn. And, and I just started like fucking involuntarily gagging. And it took me to be like, what am I remember? Oh, oh God, oh God, oh, oh fuck God, Jesus. I never go to Joanne Fabrics again. Going, going to Michael's Crafts. Um, so like, it was not a sexual act for me, exactly. It was something I don't really know a word for, and I still, like, wonder about it, you know. So, you know, I'm aware at some point of, like, Dave, like, sweating and breathing hard and, like, finally getting off and probably. But I don't feel that. It's more like I feel as intensely myself as I've ever been. And it made me think of one of my favorite prose writers, Jean Genet, and uh, his quote, like, um, a man who fucks a man is a double man. That's how I felt. <laughs> kind of. So, you know, I'm leaving, and I take a sip of whiskey and gag, because I think I've just drank cum. It's actually just a weird-ass lube that he got. I don't know what it was. So fucking thank God. And also, sorry to that other dude that I fucked. I don't know what cum tastes like. Terrible blowjob. Terrible. Um, so we're exhausted. It's like 6 a.m., and he starts scrubbing down the pool table, which really is the biggest hero of the story of all. Um, I still feel bad for that fucking pool table. And I... And, and later, I don't, really, I don't know how this happened, but I somehow went entirely home, like six or eight blocks, with no shirt on. And I wasn't even that drunk. I don't know why I took my shirt off. I was naked at some point. I don't know why. So the following morning, you know, I, I like leap out of bed, just like, oh my God. I started to have these questions like, you know, was he too intoxicated to consent? Did I talk enough? Like, what if... What if, like, he just I accidentally, like, like, just molested this dude? And, you know, to give you an idea about my feelings about consent, like, when I was in, when I was in high school, I was in this band, and I was loading the speakers into a house party, and this woman that was 27 that I had a huge crush on humped me onto the ground, and she was wasted. I could smell gin in her breath. And what I did, I yelled, you're drunk. I'm taking advantage of you. <laughs> like, that's me, you know? So, like, so, of course, this me. Only thing I can think of, oh, I should give the guy some flowers. 
like, so like, I'm not like, well, what should the note in the bouquet say? Because I don't want to, I don't want to be filthy. If it was a friend of mine, I knew well, I'd probably be like, dude, I'm sorry about your butthole. But, but I don't know him. I also want to lead him on. So I'm like, I finally settle on, um, oh, um, thank you for the adventure. So get this though. So I'm, I'm going around the neighborhood gathering these flowers and this old lady, she's putting groceries into her house and she, she comes up and she says, oh, that's a nice thought. And I'm like, oh, I, I hope it goes over, okay? And she's like, oh, a handsome young man like you? She's gonna love it. And I was like, fucking if you only knew. If you only, I mean, I wish it was that simple, but no. So then like two nights later, I see Dave, you know, he's, he's cleaning the bar or something, something. So I like, I go in and, you know, the first thing I say is like, I just wanted to check in because I normally want to talk a lot before I would do something fucking crazy like that. And he burst out laughing. He's like, we talked for four hours. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hope it didn't hurt you, you know? And he's like, laughs even harder. He's like, you mean like physically? Just, you know, I'm like, yeah. And he, I forget this dude, he's an ex-linebacker. Like, he could have thrown me across the room, like if he wanted to. But I mean, it wasn't about that really. I mean, you know, like, it's like, no, of course not. So, you know. I'm about the size of a football. I could have done this. And I was just overwhelmed with relief knowing that, like, even this crazy situation where I was kind of reacting to, like, all of this kind of, like, misogyny that I experienced and cocaine and whiskey, uh, two-life crew, I still managed to take care of another human being. I felt so much good about myself. So, you know, I think about that. And then I also realized, though, that it disturbed me to, to realize that I would not have ever done that to an AFAB person or a queer man, ever. So that freaked me out. But, but I gave him the damn flowers, so what else did I do? So I asked him if he found the flowers, and he's like, yeah, I was really embarrassed. And I was just like, fucking seriously, dude? Like, everything we did, the flowers, the flowers, that's what got you, that's what embarrassed you. Oh, and I'm baffled, right? Like... And, you know, like, you guys hearing this, you're probably going to think this is a pretty, like, atypical story about sex. Like, anything you would hear on this podcast. Well, like, you know, I, like a young, you know, masculine identifying AFAB person, I just fucking railed the white 60-year-old dude. I mean, it seems pretty weird, and yet, like, it was such a cliche. You know, like, I was preoccupied with discussing it before it happened. I want to process the feelings. Like, fucking next day, I'm like... Oh, I'm conflicted. Like, I probably should talk. I probably should bring some flowers. But what am I going to write in the bouquet? Oh, uh, you know. And he's just like, enough talk. Let's fuck. And so, I, if, you know, I kind of find myself, like, on the frontier of this, like, complicated sexual politics. And yet, like, again, there's these gender stereotypes. And I don't know if it's about socialization or what, but, like, you know, this, this experience, it was like a John Waters movie. But it was also like a romantic comedy starring two differently socialized Hugh Grants, right? <laughs> and I'm still confused. He uh, asked if we could do it again. I said, no, we could dance. So then we started dancing to Hole and Oats and we tripped over a chair and it was funny. Anyway. Baby, don't make me spell it out for ya All of the feelings that I got for ya Can't be explained, but I can try for ya Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for ya You keep on asking me the same questions And second-guessing all my intentions Should know by the way I use my compression that you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender And emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel Uh-huh so good, so good, so fucking real Uh-huh That's just the way you make me feel 
This is Risk. This is Janelle Monet behind me now. And we just heard from Sarah Galvin. And you can find their book, The Best Party of Our Lives, Stories of Gay Weddings and True Love to Inspire Us All on Amazon. Folks, Risk is live in New York on November 16th, then in L.A. on November 21st, and then in L.A. again on December 19th. Nothing compares to being there in the room with us. So be sure to go to risk-show.com slash live for the information on our last three live shows of 2023. Also, my sketch comedy troupe, The State, is in Chicago on November 25th and November 26th, and in Seattle on November 29th. The State's show is a colossal hit, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see us reunited. Rolling Stone Magazine is raving about it this week. So, look for tickets at the-state.com. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, on Thursday, we are going to revisit one of the all-time classics. About once a week, someone tells me how much they love the story For the Love of Charlie by David Crabb. And after the story, David will be talking to a pet death doula about it. None other than Kate LaSala, who shares the same last name as our audio director, John LaSala. I think they also share a house and a dog, probably some other stuff, but that's Thursday. And folks, today's the day. Damn. Take a risk. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. Everybody, I'm here today to show you how to with Q-tip. Now it's a simple process and I will be walking you through it in a step-by-step -step manner. But I'm going to show you how to do it. So basically, I have a Q-tip right here. So I'm just going to maneuver the camera just like this so you can see my and I'm going to take the Q-tip and I'm going to basically start slowly putting it in just like that, down and up. And it may tickle you a little bit, but just try and uh, try and deal with it. Don't really turn the Q-tip. I'm going to maneuver it inside once again, just slowly using different angles to get it inside. And now I, I'm, going to I'm going to maneuver it front to back front to back and I can remove it just like that and I don't want to show you what it looks like because it's kind of gross and that's all I have for you today thanks for watching <laughs>